Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. We're going to look at Ruth 2, which is all about God's amazing grace. The whole book of Ruth is, in general, its theme is it's a bright hope during dark days, which is very applicable to our time. In fact, the book of Ruth is very applicable to our time. If you remember the last verse in, in uh, the book of Judges, right before Ruth starts, is Judges 21-25. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That made for a very unstable nation and a very unstable life. And we are there today. Our country, for most of its history, has had at least a Judeo-Christian ethic that just permeated everything. And we had good results as, as a society because of that. But we are at the point now where there is no king. And remember, for Israel, when, when God brought Israel before the mountain where, where Moses he was going to give Moses the Ten Commandments, he, he told them, come to the mountain, I want to deal with all of you. And they saw the fire, they felt the earthquakes, they heard the noise, they, heard the, or they saw the lights, and they ran and they looked at Moses and they said, no way, we don't want to approach God, you go talk to him and you come tell us what he said. God was not pleased. So for the entire history of the nation of Israel, that's been part of their problem. They, they rejected a personal relationship with the God, their creator, and so they had to have other people. And at this time they had judges, some good, some not so good. But usually the judge would only be brought to the forefront when things really got horrible. And so there was, they were up, down, in, out, kind of like most of our lives. Amen? But for Ruth, it, 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 there's also a lot of, of typology, and it's, it's, it's a story of redemption. Ruth herself is a type of, of the Gentile bride, which we are the Gentile church. It's a picture of the church age. And Boaz, who is the Kingsman uh, Redeemer, or I prefer, I really like the way the NIV translates that term, Guardian Redeemer, because it's not just buying them out of slavery, it's also being a guard and being a protector. That's part of that role. It's part of Jesus' role in our lives. But, but Boaz is <clears throat> a, a type of Christ in that he accepts this strange woman, not strange in the sense of being weird, but strange in the sense that she's not of the lineage of, of Israel. She's a Moabitess, but he brings her in, he redeems her, he delivers her, and in that, he carries on the lineage of Imelech's son and actually becomes that Obed is his name, and he becomes part of the lineage of Christ, part of the lineage of David. But if you remember, Imelech and Naomi live in Bethlehem, which is the house of bread. 
But because there was famine in the land, they decided we can't be fed. We can, our needs can't be met here in Bethlehem. So we're going to the world. We're going to Moab. And, and Amalek had to have been fairly successful to be able to travel and go to a new nation and start a business and, and do whatever he needed to do. But he decided to go into the world and get his needs met rather than trusting God in the house of bread. The result of that was death. Imelech died, his two sons died, left um, Naomi and Orpha and Ruth widows in this land. But part of the application to us we looked at last week was we went to Malachi and looked at... at um, the blessings that God puts on a tither, because for us, that's probably the closest illustration of, of when lack hits our life, we, we want to quit doing things God's way and start going over and doing things the world's way. And yet God says in, in Malachi 3, He gives us three promises, three blessings, that if you will bring the tithe into my storehouse, I'll open the windows of heaven, Shower out a blessing you cannot contain. I'll rebuke the devourer and I will make you a delightful land. In other words, I am going to pour out financial, material blessings on you. I will keep the devil from, from stealing it and I will give you satisfaction in your goods. That's a pretty good promise. Jesus went a little farther than that. If you look at Matthew 23, 23. Jesus is, is, is um, talking to the scribes and the Pharisees in this verse, and he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Uh, not a great way to start a conversation. For you pay tithe of mint, anise, and cumin. They go into their, their herb gardens, and they pick out 10% of each herb in their little herb garden, and they take that to the temple and tithe on it. So they're very exacting. They will pay, you know, if they were writing checks, they would have it down to the penny. And every dollar that came in their house, they're paying their tithe on that. But notice what Jesus says. You do this, you pay tithes, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. And then he lists three of them. Justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done. You ought to have walked in justice and mercy and faith without leaving the others undone. He's not saying tithing's not for us, but he's saying there are things that are more important than that. And literally what he's done here, he's, he's quoted, or really better said, he's interpreted Micah 6.8. Micah 6.8, Micah the prophet says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? These are the requirements that God, Micah says, these are the requirements that God has for, men, for mankind. To do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. So he breaks it into three parts. you got to have justice. Galatians 6-7 is a perfect example of, of, of justice. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Your actions have consequences. Now, you got to be careful with that one. I, I've had discussions with people before. It, it, it is human nature that I'm going to judge you on areas that I am strong and you may not be quite so strong. 
Why can't you do that? I can. And if me and all my problems can do that activity, then you ought to be able to do that activity. And you ought to be able to be just as holy as I am. But when I run up against somebody that, that is struggling in something that I struggle with, suddenly I got lots of mercy. Oh, I know how that is, brother. It's, it's hard. I don't know anybody that's walking in, in, in victory in that area. Well, there are plenty of people that walk in victory in areas that I have a difficult time walking in victory over. The, the, but that doesn't change the verse. Our actions, our thoughts, our values, our activities do have consequences. And we, we need to look at the world and realize there are reasons that things happen. You know, bad things happen to good people. And sometimes it's a result of other people's sin. Somebody's driving down the road. They're not, they're not doing anything wrong. They're, they're minding their own business. They're a good person. Somebody crosses the center line, hits them head on, they're dead. And that person that crossed the center line, you know, it was like the joke I had in the, the, the bulletin last week. Lady calls her husband, says, Oh, Fred, be careful. I just heard on the news there's a guy driving the wrong way on the freeway. And he replied to her, oh, it's not just one. There's hundreds of people driving the wrong way. Well, I remember um, when I first went into the ministry in, I forget the little town. It's on I-71 between Cincinnati and Louisville. There was a group coming back from Kings Island in Cincinnati and a guy blind drunk got on the road, going the wrong way, because he was so drunk he thought the, the off-ramp was an on-ramp, hit that bus head-on, killed 30 kids in a, in a school bus, burned them alive. Did those kids deserve to die? No. Why did they die? Because this guy made a bad decision and they paid the price for it. Sometimes other people's, what other people sow, we reap evil. Sometimes other people reap evil because of things we've sown. So keep in mind, we need to walk in justice, but with all our justice, we have to walk in mercy at the same time. I'm not going to go there, but in Psalm 136, you can mark it down, go read it later. 26 verses, and 26 times it says, For His mercy endures forever. And I love it. If you read that in New King James or King James, the word endures is, in, is italicized, which means it's not in the original Scripture. So a, probably a better translation would read, His mercy is eternal. There are other Scriptures in the Old Testament that says, His mercy is new every morning. I've got to keep in mind, when I deal with life, when I deal with people, when I deal with myself, justice is needed. Without justice in our world, people get frustrated and they start picking up guns and you start having vigilantes going out. And we don't need vigilante justice. But if the, if the, the, the government and in our own life, if, if I don't walk in judgment towards myself and in justice towards myself, I will get out of control and other people will begin to control me. I've seen it a thousand times when I used to teach school, and you can go on YouTube and see it. Teenagers especially, teenage boys especially, 
they get they 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 do something wrong and somebody calls them on it and they reach out especially police officers and they go to control them physically and they touch them and you can see them bristle don't touch me don't touch me you know what that gets you every time i get you gang tackled I get a big fellow in a blue uniform with a gun on his hip on, on your belly with his knee in your back holding you down, putting you in handcuffs. Why? Because you didn't judge yourself. Now, in the same way, we still have to have mercy. I said it a few weeks ago. If my child commits murder, I'm going to encourage him. You tell honest truth what you did. But God's not done with you. Jesus has forgiven that. You need to get that under the blood. There's going to be consequences. You're probably either going to face the death penalty or permanent residence in a penitentiary somewhere. But your life's not over. Mercy always redeems. But then the greatest part here in, in Micah, it says, walk humbly with your God. Jesus, when he quotes it in Matthew 23, says faith. So to walk humbly with your God means I'm walking in faith, which when you boil it down to every, you know, in its most essence, it, it means your attitude is you're God, I'm not. And some people have a hard time with that. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, you can divide all of mankind into two classes. There are those that look at God and say, thy will be done. And there are those that God looks at the person and God says, thy will be done. The first group, God, your will be done, they're going to heaven. The ones that God looks and says, your will be done, they've chosen unwisely. And they've chosen death and hell. But it is a choice. The second group doesn't realize that God is God. And that He is boss. They'll deny that God exists. Which is, you know, walk outside. Uh, it doesn't mean much in our city because we've got so much light. But you go out somewhere where it's dark and you look up at the night sky... If you don't know there's a God, you're willfully blind. Now, what does all that mean? Are we just talking about, preacher, you want us to give more money? Well, yeah, you can give all you want. But no, this goes way beyond money. Proverbs 11.25, The generous soul will be made rich. He who waters will also water himself. It doesn't matter whether you're dealing with justice, mercy, faith, or giving. It's God is looking for a generous soul. He's looking for a generous person. Generous, and, and generosity is going to affect every area of your life. I've met people that are generous, and, and with a very generous person, sometimes you just have to say, look, you can't meet everybody's need all the time. You're not God. But their heart is to meet everybody's need because they're generous and it doesn't matter whether we're talking about giving money or giving stuff or giving giving uh, godly advice or sitting down and crying with those that are crying or laughing with those that are laughing or celebrating with those that celebrate a generous spirit is the guy who who sees his neighbor get a brand new car that he's been believing for for decades 
and truly goes and celebrates with him instead of being jealous and covetous. Now, believe me, I'm a car guy. When I see somebody gets a brand new car, there's a part of me that wants to say, well, well, how come I don't have one of those? But if I'm walking in generosity, I'm happy for them. Why don't I have one of those? Because there's some decision I've made that's probably keeping me from that, or it's just not time, or it's just not in God's provision, and I have to learn to be content in all things. Isaiah 32, 5 says it even a different way. A foolish person will no longer be called generous, nor the miser said to be bountiful. You know the definition of a miser? It's real simple. Get all you can, can all you get, sit on the can. They're only interested in it. It doesn't matter whether it's money, whatever it is. It's gimme, 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 my name's Jimmy. I want it, give it to me, and I'm hoarding it. I'm going to keep it. Some of it's out of fear, some of it's out of pride, but they just want stuff. They, they, they're, and a lot of times it's because their value comes from their stuff. The, the way we can become generous is to realize our value comes from Him and who I am in Him. And once I'm valuable in Him, Stuff really just doesn't matter that much anymore. Amen? That is a picture of Boaz. Boaz is a generous man. He's wealthy. And I know, well, yeah, when you got money, it's easy to not hang on to your money. Well, you know, that's true. But we're going to read about Boaz's behavior here in a minute. You're going to find is it Boaz's wealth. He was a generous man before he became wealthy. And his generous attitude comes through in things besides his money. But as we start Ruth 2, and we're going to go to Ruth 2.1, keep this in mind. Naomi and Ruth, they've reaped some, some bad consequences from the decisions that they made in the, the first chapter, going to Moab. Imelech is, is dead. The two sons are dead. Ruth, uh, Orpha just kissed Naomi goodbye. Naomi told her, go back to your, to your family. Go back to your, you know, your gods in Moab. Okay. You know, I said last week, there are kissers and clingers. Well, Orpha was a kisser, and she kissed Naomi goodbye. Now, interesting little factoid. Orpha is in the lineage her, her, she got married, and she had children, and one of her ancestors' name was Goliath, who is going to meet one of Ruth's ancestors named David. So there, the, the decisions we make aren't just about us. There is a progeny to come, and some of them, you're, you don't know them, you're never going to meet them, they're, you're going to be gone a long time before they're ever on the face of the earth, but your actions will influence them. It's one of the things, and I don't have these two scriptures, but there are, are two different groups of scriptures in the Old Testament that deal with, with the penalty for sin and how many generations it goes, and the penalty for righteousness, or the penalty, the blessing for righteousness and how many generations it goes. And if you go read those, the penalty for sin, the penalty for doing wrong, goes like four or five generations. 
So your sin does have an effect down the road. But the blessing for righteousness goes like to a thousand generations. So when I, we, people talk about, well, you, I think you may be dealing with a, a generational curse. Well, I only got to go look back about four generations to, to see where the origin of it, and it doesn't really matter where it originated from. I'm in Jesus, so I can break that curse. But I also need to exercise my faith, even though I may not understand or be aware of the, of the good decisions that my, my ancestors did back a thousand generations. And I'm not quite sure, but I think a thousand generations brings me really close to Noah and maybe even Adam. You take the family tree back that far, Lord have mercy. It, it, you, got, you got more great, 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 great thousand great grandparents than you can name or number. They just multiply. I'm entitled to the blessings of every one of those families. Everything they did for God in the name of Jesus, I get blessed. God's rigged the game in our favor. I love it. He's got his thumb on the scale and he's saying, yep, it's, it's for you. It's like the butcher putting the meat on, on the scale and rather than sticking his thumb on the side with the meat, he sticks his thumb on the other side and keeps adding meat and he says, I don't know why that thing's not going up. It's because he's holding his thumb on the scale. You end up with two pounds and you pay for a pound. That's what God does. But here in, in Ruth 2, we have Ruth and, and, and Naomi have two basic needs right now. They're widows, they've come back, and they don't have much. Naomi's already said when she got back, people, her name means pleasantness. And they said, whoa, pleasantness is back in the house. And she said, don't call me pleasant. My name's bitterness now because God's judged me. Don't know that God judged her, but she did get her, her actions and that of her husband got judged. But they have too many, two primary needs. It's food and family. First of all, food. Family's nice, but if you don't have anything to eat, you're not going to live long. And in this day and age, in the book of Ruth, people starve to death quite regularly in that world. So in, in Ruth chapter 2, verse 1, Said so there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean the heads of grain. This is in reference to the law from Leviticus chapter 19, where God told, this was the, the very first system of welfare. God said, when you go out and you glean, and you remember, they're doing all this by hand. They grab a bunch of grain in their fist and they take their, their sickle and they cut the bottom off. And they put them in bigger sheaths. And then at the end of the day or towards the end of the day, they take all those sheaths to one spot. They take a big stick and they beat them till the grain falls off and they collect the grain and keep that. And part of the law of gleaning was if you grab a, a, a handful of grain the stalks, and you go to hit it and you drop them, you can't pick that up and put that in your basket. Don't do it. Leave it. The poor are going to come along and that's going to be for them. When you get to the corners of your fields, don't harvest the corner. Well, how big are the corners? Are you talking about a foot? Are you talking about 100 feet? Are you talking about 100 yards? What are we talking about? doesn't say. That's where it comes down to the generosity of the owner. How much am I going to leave? 
And some owners didn't leave anything for the gleaners, and some left a lot. Amen? But the, 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 this is a little side thought. But the great thing about this welfare was it gave pride to those that were having to take it. They, had, they got to go out and work for what they were getting. Today, and my kids hated this saying, I know, Dad, give a man a fish, he eats for a day. Teach him to fish, he can eat forever. I got it, you don't have to tell me again. Because I preach that to my kids all the time. Today, with our government, when it comes to welfare, it's give them a fish. Because the purpose of welfare in our society today is to make people dependent on the government instead of dependent on God. Welfare needs to teach independence and it needs to help people get to a pathway where they can support themselves. That's what God shows in this. And it worked well. Now, notice what, what Ruth says here. Please let me go to the field and glean the heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. Now here's the question, who is the him? Is it Boaz or is it God? Well, in actuality, it's both. She's, she's already found favor in the sight of God. She did that in the first chapter when she told Naomi, I will go where you go, I will lodge where you lodge, your God will be my God, and where you die, I'm going to die. She has pledged her loyalty, loyalty to Naomi personally, but she has also pledged her loyalty to Naomi's God. And God took that serious. He said, okay, you're in my family now, I'm going to watch out after you. There is going to be a, and I love the way the NIV puts it, there's going to be a guardian redeemer. But keep in mind, I'm the guardian redeemer. So it also refers to Boaz because God's going to use Boaz to meet her need. Amen? And Naomi gave her permission. She said, go, my daughter. Kind of telling, this is not her daughter-in-law. This is my daughter. You're part of my family now. Verse 3 says, Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Imelech. She just happened to show up in that part of the field. Her thinking was, I'm here by accident. But God has made provision, and God is directing her steps to get her to the place she needs to be. I've said it before, when, when you look in, in, in Exodus where Moses asks God, he says, I want to see your face, and God says, you can only see my hinder parts. Well, there's, there are several stories in that and several applications, but I believe one of the applications is we only recognize God usually after we've gone through our circumstances. When times are hard, it's hard to see God at work in my life. But after I'm through, I can look back and say, man, God rescued me half a dozen times in that. I wasn't aware of it, but he was doing it. Well, that's exactly what's happening to Ruth here. Verse 4 says, Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, Notice, this is the first thing Boaz says to his workers. The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Boaz is greeting him, and his greeting shows his character. He, he is interested in, in his workers prospering, but he's even more interested in the spiritual, war, war, or spiritual welfare of his workers. They're not just cogs in a wheel. 
They're his servants, they're his workers, and he's concerned about them. And they understand that. There's a good relationship here. Now, verse 5, this is also interesting. Boaz then said to his servant, and more likely this was the head servant, who was in charge of the reapers, whose woman or young woman is this? Notice Boaz, because I read this story and I look at a lot of the commentators, and the flavor you get about Boaz looking at Ruth this first time was kind of what you, you, you get as a, a, a kind of a jokey way that Adam looked at Eve, where he said, I'm going to call her, whoa, man. He looks at her and he says, that is a good looking woman. And that's the flavor you get. But notice what he actually says. Whose woman is this? He didn't ask who she was, but he asked who does she belong to. He wants to know the relationships. He doesn't comment on how she looks. He just comments where's her lineage. Now the servant, verse 6, the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. This servant only sees Ruth as a foreigner, even though she's attached to Naomi. He sees her past, not the reality of who she is now. And I'm going to tell you, when you deal with people most of the time, all they remember is your past. Especially, you want to see this, go to some of your your high school reunions or college reunions. Last high school reunion I went to was, I think, my 10 year. Well, next year is my 50th year. And I'm going to do my best to get back to my 50th year just because it's an even number. I like even numbers. But I guarantee you when I show up, I heard it at 10 years, I'll hear it just as much here. They remember the kid I was at 15, 16, and 17 and the stupid things I did back then because I was a boy and I was a teenager and you put teenage boy together, you equal stupid. It's just a fact of life. But they, that's when they think of me, if they haven't had contact with me, that's who they remember. That's not who I am. Well, that does not mean, let me make this clear, that there's not some stupid in me. It's always in there. I just tamed it a little bit. But he looks at her and all he sees is Moabitess. I recognize she's with Naomi, but I see Moabitess. Now notice, I think Ruth notices Boaz and this guy talking, so Ruth comes and addresses Boaz. And notice, this is part of her attitude that we saw, that she's walking humbly with God. She knows who God is and she knows who she is and she knows she is, she is at the lowest rung of the social ladder here in this situation. She said to Boaz, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and is... Con- or excuse me. This is what she said to the servant. And then he comments on it. She came and she has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. What's he saying? This girl's a worker. She's been here from early morning and she's worked straight through except for a little time she rested in the house. And this is probably more like a little shelter, a temporary shelter that they built just to get out of the sun when things got too hot. 
Ruth came to the, to, to the person in charge. She asked permission, but he's impressed. He still only recognizes her as being a foreigner, but he recognizes this lady knows how to work. And she's helping Naomi. Then verse 8, Boaz said to Ruth, Will you listen, my daughter, will you not? Uh, notice, immediately, Boaz is not seeing her as a foreigner. He's calling her his daughter. He's inviting relationship. And keep in mind, this is a type of Christ. You go back to Romans 8, Jesus called us by name. That's what Boaz is doing. Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close to my young women. When it came harvest time, and this is the barley harvest, uh, everybody, it's all hands on deck. You've got a short time to, to harvest your grain. If it gets wet, it's going to rot. If, it gets, if you let it stand in the field too long, the mice will come eat it, the birds will eat it. Believe me, we, we used to have a cherry tree in our backyard. The cherries would get ripe on Friday, and the birds will have cleaned the thing by Saturday. I mean, they are gone that fast. Ancient people knew that, and they, they hit their fields hard. Everybody comes, men and women both. But Boaz looks at her, and he says, Don't go anywhere else. Stay here with the women that are reaping in my field. Why? Because it's not exactly safe for a foreigner. Not exactly safe for a young woman who has no protectors. Remember, Boaz is the kinsman redeemer or guardian redeemer. And he's being very protective of her, even though he doesn't have a formal relationship with her. Verse 9, he says, Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? He's already put the word out to his workers. You mess with her, you mess with me. You don't want to mess with Boaz. When you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. At the beginning of the day, young men, because this, they bring a lot of water to these fields, they go fill these water vessels, they bring them, and the water's there for the workers. She's not one of his workers. She's not entitled to get water. If she gets thirsty, she has to go to the stream or the well and get water. He's saying, don't walk off and don't quit gleaning. Stay here, drink our water. Now, verse 10, notice her attitude. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? She knows where she stands, but notice how Boaz answered. Again, all through this, when you read secular writers in particular, they're going to tell you Boaz was attracted to her because she was a beautiful woman. She may have been a beautiful woman, I don't know. The Bible doesn't really comment one way or the other. But notice what impressed Boaz. Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. He understands that Ruth has made a commitment, not just to Naomi, but to Yahweh. 
Psalm 91 has not been written at this point, but he nails this same thought, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Psalm 91, verse 1, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the perilous pestilence. Verse 4 is the key. He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you shall take refuge. That's the reference Boaz. It's like a bird comes and covers her chicks with her wings. It's protection. You know, I don't think I've ever made it a secret, Geese are the spawn of the devil. They don't have teeth, but you want to mess with a mean animal? You get near a goose's or, 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 or their nest or get around their chicks. You know, people are afraid of them. I just do my best to wring their neck when they come after me. But I've had them come after me, wings spread. They'll grab you with their feet. They'll try to scratch you because they have little tiny claws. They'll try to scratch you, peck at you, bite you. They will do, they come after you tooth and hammer. You get near their, their family. That's what he's talking about here. You have come, Boaz says, <clears throat> the Lord, verse 12, the Lord repay your work and a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. You are under the protection of God Almighty. Now a goose is mainly just fear because it's a big bird and they get aggressive. They don't really have a lot of weapons that are going to hurt you. But God, you mess with his chicks, you better be careful because he's got some weapons and he's not afraid to use them in defense of his family. Now verse 13, she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your own maidservants. Ruth still being humble. Boaz is blessing her, but she points out that you've blessed me even though I'm not one of you. I'm on the lowest rung of your society, and yet you're right here. Why? Again, Ruth 1, verse 16 and 7. Where you go, I go. Where you lodge, I lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. When you die, Where you die, I will die. Ruth has made a covenant with Naomi and with Naomi's God. Now, verse 14, it's lunchtime. This is, this is very special. Now, Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat of the bread. Dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. Now, if you want to know what this is like, this is an Old Testament um, type. But this is like going to an Italian restaurant and they bring the oil olive oil with all of the seasonings in it, and you dip your bread in it, and, you know, personally, I don't like it. My wife would do that by the gallon full if, you, if she was allowed to. A lot of people love that. That is the, what they're doing here. But again, this is only for the workers. But he's invited her in. So she sat beside the reapers, this is New King James, and he passed parched grain to her. And she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. When it says he passed parched grain to her, the thought there is Boaz is serving her. Boaz has just become a servant 
to uh, Ruth. He's treating her as if she is a member of his family. And not only is he treating her well, but notice she ate and was satisfied. She ate until she was full. And then he loaded her up with a doggy bag and said, here, take the leftovers home. Now, verse 15, when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, let her glean even among the sheaves. Don't just make her pick up what you drop or occasionally drop some on purpose. But if she can't, if there's not enough for her to glean, because remember, she's not the only one out in these fields gleaning. Let her go into the field itself and just pick whatever she wants. And don't reproach her. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. And leave it that she may, she may glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. Now I'm sure all of you, when I say an ephah, you know exactly how much that is. That's about a bushel, which also, being modern city people, unless you carried a bushel, bushel basket of, of produce around, you don't realize how big it is. This is, is, is about 40 to 50 pounds worth of grain. Now, in the ancient world, it was normally for a worker, a worker would eat between one and two pounds of grain a day. So if... Let's just say Ruth and Naomi, because women in general are usually smaller than, than men are. If men normally eat one to two pounds, let's put them at the low end of a pound of grain a day. If she's got 50 pounds, that's 25 pounds per woman. That's almost a month's worth of food that he's sending home with her in one day. Now if, and, and the bar, depending on how big your field is, if the barley harvest lasts two weeks, 14 days, that's a year's worth of food. He's just giving them all their food for the next year until the next harvest comes in. That's generosity. And then verse 18, Then she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought it out and gave her what she had kept back after she was satisfied. She brings in this big bag of grain and says, Look what I brought, Naomi. And not only that, but here's some leftovers for lunch. Naomi's, you know, I'm sure she was a little slack-jawed. What? I didn't expect this. Verse 19, she said to her, Where have you gleaned today? She knew something's up. And where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, This man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord. Notice Naomi also recognized this is the Lord's hand in this. Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, this man is a relative of ours, one of our close relatives. Notice that last little phrase. She does not say, he is our close relative. She said, he is one of our close relatives. He's not the only kinsman redeemer out there. In fact, Jews were very, paid a lot of attention to their lineages. 
and they could tell you who is the closest related to anyone out there. Boaz is not the closest relative that Naomi and Ruth have. We're going to see that when we get to chapter 3. But notice what Naomi does. She's a typical mother-in-law. She starts plotting. Verse 21, Ruth, the Moabite, said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. In other words, he gave me all of this. He gave me some leftovers from lunch, but he's also protecting me and told me to come back to his fields tomorrow. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It's good, my daughter that you go out with, this, with his young women, and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dealt with her mother-in-law. Now, I'm not a great writer, but I do know the art of cliffhangers. You know? I think we're all old enough, few may not be, but I remember the greatest cliffhanger in the history of television. And probably if, when I mention it, you all will notice it too. Who shot J.R.? End of the season, everybody wondered. I mean, it was in magazines, people talked about it. Who shot J.R.? Who shot J.R.? Who shot J.R.? It was a cliffhanger. Why was it a great cliffhanger? Because the entire country was hanging and waiting for that first episode of Dallas the next fall to find out who shot J.R. If you're telling a love story, and this is not so much the fault of the writer as it is the fault of the person who made the chapter breaks, what a cliffhanger here. And she dwelt with her mother-in-law. In other words, Boaz did all these things. He's just blessed her socks off and she stayed with Naomi. That's it. That's our cliffhanger. Ah! But what does all this tell us? Well, it tells us, I see four things here in this chapter, and we're going to see it even more when we get into chapter 3. First, this is the gospel according to Boaz, which is also the gospel according to Christ. First thing, he's seeking the outcast and treating them as a member of his family. If you look at the, at, at the impact of the gospel, it's always the easiest and the most powerful when you're dealing with the down and outers. Why? Because they're looking for help. The greatest realization you will ever come to in your life is, I can't do this. Well, welcome to the club. None of the rest of us can either. We need a Savior. It's the up and outers... Who This is part of that blessing of the tither, the last promise there, I will make you a delightful land. I know a lot of people that have a lot of money, and they're the most miserable creatures in the world. Why? Because they're afraid they're going to lose it. Or they're working so hard to get the stuff. You know, you, you, you work hard and you go buy the big boat, and you never have a weekend free to go use the boat. You have the big house, but with the big house comes the big house payment, and you can't ever enjoy it because you can't relax for a minute because if you don't get the big payday, the house is going to go unpaid, and suddenly you lose your status in the community. And status is everything. For a lot of people, you look at them, and they've got the big house in the big community, and you realize they're living from paycheck to paycheck just like some of us are. 
This is, they have to have a much bigger paycheck and they got a lot more pressure. So the gospel here for Boaz, Boaz is looking for that outcast. How can I help you? Secondly, when he finds that outcast, he shelters the weak under his wings. He came to Ruth's aid. He said, look, you stay in my field, I'll protect you. I will be your guardian. That's what God does to us every day. I am your protector. I am the one who will watch out over you. Again, going back to the blessings of the tither. I will rebuke the devourer in your behalf. I need that from God. Third, he serves the hungry at his table. Jesus cried out in the Gospels, Ho, all you that hunger and thirst, come. I have the bread of life. He told the woman at the well in Samaria, I have uh, water. When you drink my water, the water of life, you will never thirst again. He looks for people. He wants to shelter them, but then he serves what? You need. And then the fourth thing, he showers the needy with his grace. There is no end to his blessing. We saw it in 2 Corinthians when we prayed, chapter 12. His grace is, is found greatest when I'm at my, my greatest need. Let the weak say they are strong. It's when I realize I can't do it that God can come in and say, well, I'm glad you finally figured that out. Now I can get to work if you'll just let me. Our biggest problem is, I had a, and I'll close with this, I had a guest speaker when I was in seminary in Louisville and went to chapel and this guy came in and it was like most city schools. This was a, a, a graduate school, Southern Seminary. And... Lots of students and almost no places to park cars. So parking was a premium. And sometimes you didn't find parking. You had to go out in the community, and there you risk losing your car because you park in the wrong spot. They'll tow your car in a heartbeat. This guest speaker came through, and he said, you know, sorry, I was almost late, but I was having a hard time finding a parking place. And he said, and I started to pray for God to find me a parking place, but then I decided God's got bigger things to worry about. He doesn't need to worry about me finding a parking place. And with my lightning fast mind, I thought, wow, God's not very big in your eyes. He can't handle world peace and a parking place at the same time. Our problem is we think when it comes to world peace or big, big events in our life, I've got to have God there. I can find my own parking place. No, you can't. It's the little things. And remember, Proverbs says, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. Now, that's kind of blind to us. But when, when you have grapevines that you are, are um, they're in a field, they're not just wild, you put posts and you string things between them and you keep the grapes up off the ground so they can get sunlight and air can get around them so they don't mold. When a fox, a big fox, will come up to that grapevine, they can reach the fruit and they will just eat the fruit, some of it. A little fox can't reach the fruit, so they will go to the, to the stalk and they'll chew the thing off till the grapes fall on the ground. And they don't eat the fruit, but they ruin the, the whole vine. It's those little things that you think, I can handle this. And you try it on your own. And guess what? You mess it up. We need to invite God into the little things as well as the big things. 
There is nothing so small in my life that I can do it correctly. It's one of those things, and I've had people argue with me. Well, you know, it comes down to the definition of sin. One of the definitions of sin is to miss the mark. Well, I may be a great shot, but I never put it center bullseye every time. I always am a little off. I may have a pretty good grouping. In fact, when you tell somebody you're a good shot, that means that you have a good grouping. You're not always hitting the same spot. You don't put it in the same hole. You don't shoot three times and there's only one hole in the target. God does. I'm just glad I can hit the paper somewhere. But when I get right up to it, I think, oh, I can hit this one. Maybe, maybe not. Sometimes your gun jams. Let God fight that battle for you, whether it's little or big. Invite God into everything. Because you need Him in everything. But he wants to be that Boaz. He's looking for the outcast. And it's when you realize, I am an outcast. I'm a screw-up of major proportions. God says, that's just who I'm looking for. I'm not looking for the qualified. I'm looking for the willing, and I'll make you qualified. That's what he's looking for. But when he finds you, when he finds a willing vessel... He will come in and pour His grace and do things through you that will amaze you. Believe me, people that have been used of God, they are always the one or the most amazed. I can't believe God used me to do this. Well, it's because you were humble enough to just let Him do the work. Amen? But the great news is, it's not done. The redemption has just started. Just started. We're halfway through the chapter, or halfway through the book, which, you know, it's a good thing it's a little book. But it's, the story has just started. Even though chapter 2 ends with a horrible cliffhanger, the, the story not only continues, it just gets better. Or as the little country boy said, it's just gooder and gooder all the time. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.